Hebrews chapter 5. Let's turn together to Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 7 through 10 this morning. And I hope you have your copy of God's Word with you today as we open God's Word once again. This is God speaking to us. So I hope you have your copy of the Scriptures with you. Let's turn together. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 through 10. Follow along with me as I read. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered and being made perfect He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now we've been seeing in Hebrews 5, pointing back to the priests, shown us in the Old Testament that the only way for man to approach God was through the God-appointed means of a high priest. And only the man God chose and appointed could rightly fulfill that role. But we're also seeing here in the text of Hebrews 5 a weakness in all those high priests of the Old Testament. They had their own sins to deal with. So they had to offer up sacrifices first for their own sins and then for the sins of the people. Now, in the book of Hebrews, the writer is showing us that Jesus is better that he is worthy of our faith. In the day in which this letter was written, among the people to whom this letter was written, there were those who were facing hardship and difficulty, and they were being tempted to give up their faith, to call it quits on faith in Jesus Christ. So the writer of Hebrews is seeking to show them, and because this is God's word which he inspired the writer to write, God is showing us as well. That Jesus is better, and that he is worthy of our faith. Jesus is worthy of our trust for salvation from sins. So here in Hebrews 5, we see the beginnings of the comparisons between the high priests seen in the Old Testament and the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the verses we're looking at today, the writer is showing us not only how Jesus is better than those priests, but also how he is fit to be the great high priest once and for all. And we see how, specifically in three ways here in the text before us. So let's first note, and we see here how Jesus is fit for being the one who can be our full and final way to God by his prayers. By his prayers. He can and does fulfill this role of great high priest, and that is seen in how Jesus Praise. Note again verse 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. So I want you to note first, the writer points to Jesus' prayers during the days of his flesh. During the days of his flesh. Now, during the days Jesus was here on earth in human flesh, One of the times we see in the scriptures, which is a vivid example of what we see in verse 7, is seen in Matthew 26. 
I want you to turn with me to Matthew 26 for a moment. Let's turn there. Let's look at it for a moment. What the writer shares in verse 7 of Hebrews 5 is likely pointing to times like we know of when Jesus cried out in prayer to God the Father as he, as he neared his death. And so look at the passage with me. He, uh, Matthew chapter 26, uh, beginning in verse 36. And these are very familiar words to us, I suppose. Uh, verse 36, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So... Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this, is, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. So in Matthew 26, we have this example of Jesus praying, and with great sorrow but also note great humility. But he was sorrowful and troubled, says verse 37. And Jesus says in verse 38, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. And it's interesting that in Luke's account of this time when Jesus was praying, in Luke twenty-two forty-four, we find this, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And then... And then we have this prayer of Jesus from the cross in Matthew 27, 46. At about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I want you to remember this. Let's remember this. Jesus' entire life on earth was one of dependence on God. And so I don't think this is the only time the writer has in mind since he says here, in the days, that's plural, in the days of his flesh. But these passages are an example, nonetheless, that Jesus is thoroughly acquainted with and knows and understands our agony and suffering because he was not spared the agony and suffering that preceded and included the cross. He experienced pain and suffering he lived in human flesh. Now about the sufferings of Christ, A.W. Pink wrote this, which helps us grasp better, I think, how Jesus can sympathize with our weaknesses and sufferings. A.W. Pink writes, Into what infinite depths of humiliation did the Son of God descend? How unspeakably dreadful was his anguish! How a, uh, what a hideous thing sin must be if such a sacrifice was required for its atonement. How real and terrible a thing is the wrath of God. What love moved him to suffer on our behalf. What must be the portion of those who despise and reject such a Savior? And so the first readers of Hebrews 
were experiencing great difficulty and grief themselves. And I think they were being instructed here that Jesus could fully identify with and sympathize with and help them in their suffering. So they could fully trust him. You could fully trust in the Lord Jesus Christ because he can identify with their suffering. And I want you to hear this, believers, so can we. You need to hear this as well, unbelievers, so can you. And I would suggest that Jesus' prayers teach us to pray through adversity. In the midst of difficulty, in the midst of adversity and great heartache, not only is it natural to grieve, as Jesus did, but it is at the same time proper to trust God by calling on him in prayer. It's obvious here that Jesus can sympathize with us in our own weakness and suffering because he too suffered. And by the example of Jesus' prayers, we learn what to do in adversity, which is trust God and pray. Trust God and pray in the midst of adversity. This is what Jesus did. Of course, God always wants us to trust him. He always wants us to pray at all times. But don't forget, in the midst of adversity, Jesus is qualified to be the great high priest. He is fit for being the one who is our full and final way to God. And that fitness is seen in his prayers. And his prayers are a great example to us in our praying. As he suffered, he trusted and called on the Father in prayer. Now, note second that Jesus is shown to be fit for being the one who can be our full and final way to God, the great high priest, by his obedience. Jesus' obedience. Look at verse 8 again. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Now note that this means not that he had to learn to stop being disobedient, because he never disobeyed. But it means that in Jesus' daily experience of living life, in human flesh, he learned the experience of obedience. And we see here that specifically that he, he learned the experience of obedience through what he suffered. Now, I think we feeble human beings have a hard time identifying with this in many ways. We feeble human beings don't like to suffer. So what do we do when difficulty comes? We often try to find the path of least resistance through suffering, to get to the other side of suffering as quickly as possible. We look for a way of escape, a way out of trouble. I'm with you in this. I understand that. I don't want to suffer either. But Jesus didn't look for the path of least resistance through his suffering. He obeyed. This truth is evident in what we hear about Jesus coming not to be served, but to serve. Matthew 20, 28 says this of Jesus, that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus learned to trust God. He learned to obey the Father. Jesus learned to obey, not for his own pleasure, but to please the Father. With great humility, he put himself before the Father and humbled himself to his Father's will. 
and his life on earth was one of dependence upon God the Father. And it is this way that Jesus' obedience shows us the way through adversity, which is by taking one obedient step at a time, obeying the Father's will. And so we see that Jesus is fit for being our one and only way to God the Father, that he is the great high priest because of his obedience. And we should note here that we're also learning from Jesus that the path through adversity and difficulty and suffering is to pray, to trust God in prayer. And don't ever forget this, we're to pray and we're to obey. Now, I want you to note, thirdly, that Jesus is shown to be fit for being the one who can be our full and final way to God by his work, by Jesus' work. Look at verses 9 and 10, one more time. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now note this first phrase of verse 9, and being made perfect is closely, that is closely related to the thought in verse 8, that he learned obedience through what he suffered. It was through his suffering and obedience unto death that he was perfected and qualified to become, as verse 10 indicates, the great high priest forever. And we noted it last week when we saw the reference of Melchizedek, that he was a king priest whose reign was indefinite. And by comparison, we're being shown here that Jesus is the great high priest who reigns forever. Jesus is our one and only way to the Father. This is his work. He is our intermediary. And there's a powerful and very important reminder for us here in Jesus' work because it reminds us that we cannot save ourselves. We must have the work of the great high priest on our behalf, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who learned and was perfected by his obedience all the way to the cross, suffering for our sins. That is his work on our behalf. And those are incredible truths. Now let's think for a few moments of about how we might apply these truths to our lives today, because this is so important. If these are incredible truths, we ought to be serious about discerning how these apply to our lives. First of all, we can learn from God's Word and the example of the Lord Jesus Christ today that we are very blessed to believe in God the Son, because we can take great joy in the fact that because Jesus Christ has gone before us, we are forgiven our sins. And we receive eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Praise God. And because he has gone before us and seen an end of his suffering, we know and we can be confident that we too will see an end of our suffering. The Lord Jesus Christ took on flesh only for a little while, just 33 years. And then after being hung on a cross until dead and buried in the tomb, he rose from the dead on the third day and his suffering was done. It was finished. And when he ascended into heaven, he was and is now 
exalted above the heavens. And because Jesus defeated sin and death and hell, we who believe in him will also one day finally have victory through Christ over sin and death and hell. One day our suffering will be over once and for all, finally over. And so, even though we face difficulty, even though we face certain suffering here on earth, in the flesh, now, as we live the lives that God has given us, we don't face these difficulties without hope. We can face the difficulties of this life with our faith strengthened in the knowledge that because of Christ, there will be an end to our suffering, which in the present, with the example of Christ, will give us hope, will give us strength to press on, to not lose heart, to not give up, to keep trusting God. And that is one thing that we must learn from Jesus' examples. Keep trusting God. Secondly, we can be encouraged by this truth also, that even though the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son, suffered in human flesh, he was not cast aside by God the Father. He remained God's Son. And in this too, our faith should be strengthened. Our faith and our joy should increase. That though we suffer as God's children, we are still His. And He keeps us and ultimately delivers us from evil. Our suffering does not separate us from God. He is the only one who can keep and deliver us. This too is why it's fitting that we call on him in prayer. The Lord Jesus Christ was not separated from God the Father. He was not disowned from, by God the Father. And that makes Jesus the only one who can keep and deliver us. And we can praise God for that and take great confidence as we Pray to the Father and obey the Father. Thirdly, on that note, we should learn also from the prayers of Jesus as he offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. That stiffness and formality is not what Jesus offered to God in prayer. He offered him his heart. And so I think we should learn from this, that we too should feel no burden of formality when praying. But we should tell God what's troubling and burdening us. What is it that's heavy on your heart? Tell God in prayer. Yes, Jesus was heard because of his reverence, yes. But his reverence was not formality. Otherwise, he would not have prayed with loud cries. But his reverence is seen in the fact that he was calling in prayer on the one who was able to save him from death. Just consider that. If your life is hanging by a thread and someone is nearby who can grasp your hand and keep you from falling over the cliff, so to speak, 
What are you going to do? You are going to cry out to the one who can save you from death. This is what Jesus did. Jesus, God the Son, knew that the only one who could hear and answer prayer, providing for his needs, is God. And so he called on God the Father. Jesus knew that during his whole life on earth, he had been dependent upon God the Father for his help. As Thomas Schreiner writes, God answered Jesus' prayers because of his fear of God, because he had given his life completely into God's hands. And listen, believers, we must understand that the same is true for us. And listen, unbelievers, if you have not trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, listen, all of us, we don't need a prayer formula as much as we need a humble, trusting heart that turns our whole life over to God's hands, an attitude that recognizes and expresses that we understand that only God can fully provide for our needs. And then there's a fourth application, I believe, to our lives. We can also learn from the prayers of Jesus that though God may not answer our prayers the way we're praying them, he may not answer our requests exactly how we asked him to answer them. We can rest assured that he will answer our prayers. And his, pray his answer to our prayers will serve our ultimate good and his glory. We see here in verse 8 that Jesus was praying to the one who could save him from death. And yet we know Jesus was not spared physical death. He suffered and died on the cross. But we also know that his prayer was answered for his ultimate good and for God's ultimate glory, because God did not spare his son from being crucified, but he did spare him from the realm of the dead by raising him from the dead on the third day. Again, as Thomas Schreiner writes, pointing to what we see back in verses 5 and 6, the resurrection shows that Jesus is a priest forever. And at the resurrection, he was begotten by God, i.e., he was appointed to rule at God's right hand. And listen, this was for the ultimate good of Christ and for our ultimate good. And people being saved from their sins through Christ is all for God's glory. Today, we need to see that's our Savior. That's our great high priest. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. We can and should trust him with our whole lives. We learn today from Jesus' example that through faith in Jesus Christ, we can trust God. We can pray and know we'll be heard and answered. We can learn to obey. And when we do, then we can rest in the finished work of Christ.